It's time for episode 92 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 17th, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast with a sundial in its family tree. We're getting close to the solstice. I'm Jason Snell, and across the internet from me, my co-host, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, I strapped a sundial to my wrist. It's the Apple sundial. It's very good. I like it, but it's a little little short on features. (laughs) Anyway, this is Clockwise, where we spend half an hour talking about four technology topics with a couple lovely guests. We have two great guests this week. A first-time Clockwise guest to my left is the host of the Less Than or Equal podcast, Aline Sims. Hello. Hello. I'm trying to come up with an Apollo joke, and it's just not working. Sounds like you owe us an apology. Oh, oh. To my left is a returning guest. That's right, returning. You've heard him before. It's Rogue Amoeba's chief lackey and CEO, Paul Cafasas. Hi, Paul. Hi. I'm actually kind of distracted because I'm trying to figure out if uh, a sundial works the same way in the Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere. Excellent question. Maybe we have some uh, some listeners down there who listen to our regular anti-clockwise podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're each going to bring one topic and discuss it. I will go first. And my topic is this. I'm curious what you all think about uh, a, week, a week after uh, the developers conference now. Um, Apple announced Apple Music last week. It's coming out at the end of the month. Will it be a success? I'm curious for your, I would like to hear your prognostication and uh, why will it be or why will it not be? It does have the power of a three-month free trial and installation on you know every iPhone and iPad basically behind it. But I'm curious, do you think that it will make it in the face of stiff competition? Aline, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I was sitting in the keynote watching it and like my eyes glazed over a little bit. I think a lot of people had that reaction. Um, I th- I think it really has the potential to work, especially like iTunes Match, the the streaming music service, you know, kind of baked into that has not been reliable at all. So if this is something built on Beats, um, which I've heard is yeah, amazing, is. Um, then then I think it has the real potential to. Um, I'm completely unsure about the the connect aspect of it, which is like the social media for. Um, for, you know, content creators. Um, I, I don't, I don't see myself using that. I don't see a lot of my friends using that. So I'm, it kind of feels like everyone was like, it's ping all over again. And it kind of feels like that to me too, in a way. Um, so I think, I think the music portion has the potential to be successful. Connect, I can see kind of like withering and, and dying by the wayside, but, um, We'll see. I hope it works. Yeah, I'm I'm skeptical as well. I think the streaming part does have a lot of promise. Uh, the pre-installation is great, but as Aline mentioned, Ping didn't do so great, and it had integration at the iOS level. So, you know, that's maybe not the only indicator of success. Um, the three-month trial, I think, is a big deal. I think a lot of places, you know, offer one month, and that's that's fine. But a lot of people, you know, come and go after one month, or maybe it's not long enough for them to figure out. Three months is a long time. Um, and it's, you know, far enough that people sort of get used to using the service. Uh, I think if there are questions, a lot of them are sort of these behind the scenes questions, you know, Apple's got some, uh, I feel like a more and more tenuous relationship with some of the music labels. And it's, it's good that they've seemed to have convinced most of them to sign on here. But I think that the truth will end up being whether or not they, uh, the music people want to listen to is actually there. Uh, and I think for the most part, it probably will be, uh, whether it convinces people to move away from things like Spotify, which has, you know, a, a very popular following, uh, is a lot harder. They really have to offer something 
that is better than what Spotify is doing. And right now, it seems like that service is pretty much on par. And I agree with Aline that Connect seems very, very risky. Uh, not, not risky, but it seems like imposing a, another social media network um, and saying, this is the place to go is is always a hard sell. And so unless there are people there really producing high-quality content that listeners want to to check out, then I think that it will probably just tank. Well, a quick poll is... Any are any of the four of us planning to actually pay for this? I'll let you know after three months. <laughs> yeah. Well, right, fair enough. I but paid I mean, for a year of Beats that actually expires pretty much at the end of the month. So okay, I might. So, but no one is looking at this and saying, "I gotta have this." I'm I'm definitely gonna sign up. Ten dollars a month, no problem. Uh, you know, no one. I don't think I've heard anyone say this is gonna be awesome. I really have to get it. It's more how is this how does this compare to spotify how does it compare to rdo is it better in some way it's certainly something that you would think the music industry doesn't really care to have one winner they'd rather i think probably be licensing to multiple partners so if they i don't think they would give a leg up to one company without at least offering it to others so i don't know to me the whole thing well the as aline said the introduction was a mess <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to mince words. I actually, I was watching the keynote remotely, but I walked out with probably at least 10 minutes left because I was just done hearing about it and done seeing Eddie Q dance and so on. So the introduction was not great. As far as the service itself, they certainly get a leg up by just being everywhere as far as Apple devices go. Is there, uh, I, I haven't even seen, is there an Android client for this? There Coming will this fall. be. There will be, right. So, I mean, that's certainly, that's interesting in that it shows they do want to compete where you know Spotify is on all platforms that it needs to be, and often Apple stuff is only on Apple's platforms. But it's showing that this isn't something that they're trying to necessarily do to move iPhones and move iPads and Macs. It's something that they're trying to make money off on its own. So that at least is you know, interesting, and in then it shows, hey, maybe they're serious about this as opposed to just using this as a way to bring in users. But I'm certainly not convinced by this, and I don't know. I, I joked when they announced this, that I buy my own music. I take care of finding new artists myself. I don't find this to be the Herculean task that Apple seems to have made it out to be. Maybe I'm an outlier on that, but it didn't really seem like it based on you know the response I got when I said this to people. So I don't know that I'm very sold on the idea of, oh, here's how you're going to find all types of new music. And uh, once you're over like, I don't know, 25 or 30, how much help do you need finding one or two new artists every so often? I think it's going to be a, a success mostly because I, I just look at the power of not just that three-month free trial, which I think will get people to try this, but it being on every iPhone. I, I'm not saying it will necessarily uh, become the de facto streaming service for the world. I'm saying that it's going to be a serious competitor to the ones that are already out there. And I think Apple was actually sending a couple of signals, whether they were intentional or not, during the keynote when they pointed out that uh, half of iPhone users use uh, notes regularly and that three, uh, three and a half times as many many uh, people use uh, Apple Maps as Google Maps. Uh, those are both messages about the power of uh, being pre-installed on the device with an app that you can't delete. And in this right. case, if you have your music, you're in the same app as the streaming service already. Um, and, uh, you know, again, it's not for everybody, but for the people who want that kind of a service, having it b integrated with all of the Apple stuff, and in fact, with all of your own stuff, um, since it's it's integrating the a la carte stuff that you've already got with what's on the on the streaming library, um, I, I, I think it's going to be a strong service because of that. Um, I think the social networking stuff is just, honestly, it's just artist PR 
mm-hmm. junk and most people won't care. Um, but I don't think it's going to be the success or failure of the product. And that, that section of Keynote especially was there to suck up to the music industry more than anything else. All right, let's uh, move on to another topic. Aline, what do you have for us? So um, I am in the development community and um, something that I saw flashing by on Twitter uh, mid to late last week was um, some debate as to who software betas, especially OS betas, are for. Um, uh, Louis Mantia was um, somewhat upset because battery life is draining pretty quickly on iOS 9. Um, he, he's a designer and he um, he feels like the, the, the beta should be better baked by the time it's released and, and helping not not such a drain on battery life. Um, so I was wondering what you all thought about that. Well, you know, with the, ex- so beta is weird, right? Because it's, it's one of those things that I think has a, a particular meaning to people who have been using software for a long time, which is to say it's, this is not done. But in recent years, we have a bigger and bigger case where betas are things that get distributed much more widely. I mean, Google obviously famously kept products in beta long past the point where they were essentially mainstream available to everybody products. And so I think that that over time, that label has broadened a bit to include things that we expect to be more stable. Um, And I think maybe that's a mistake at times because it does sort of, you know, dilute the meaning of of what it means to be a beta. Uh, And if you're talking about something that is pre-release software, there's going to be bugs and there's going to be battery problems and and all of those things. And I think that it's true that betas are not just for developers, but it's also true that anybody who is installing a beta needs to be aware that there are potential problems, whether that be something like, a beta that, you know, the current iOS 9 betas that are for, you know, targeted for people writing apps or public betas that are targeted for a broader audience. Obviously, I'm sure Apple takes time to make sure that those public betas are a little more solid before they let in, you know, people who are who are just sort of leading edge users. But, you know, it, it always comes with caveats. And so I, I don't think that, I don't know, that complaint to me rings a little bit hollow because it's like, I don't know, battery performance stuff especially is notoriously bad in betas, especially uh, iOS betas. It's often one of the last things to get tweaked. And even then, you know, when you get new versions, people are always complaining about battery uh, usage getting drained much faster. So I guess my feeling about that is you kind of got to know what you're getting into. And and it sounds like that might just be a little bit over complaining. The question that that was in our little spreadsheet of notes was who are OS betas for? And I have one word, and that is chumps. (laughs) (laughs) OS betas are for chumps. Uh, If you're a developer you eventually need to start running the OS betas, uh, especially if you're concerned that you will need to have updates so that you can get your software ready, hopefully for day one. But what is this? Is this the second or third year of OS public betas? It hasn't happened just yet, but it's going to happen next month or so. This is year Uh, two. This is year two. And I just can't imagine being a customer and running one of these because so much stuff is broken, third-party stuff especially, and it's not really reasonable to expect developers to have updates uh, in time for a public beta that's coming in just a few weeks after the OS was announced in the first place. If you wait till the final release, you're going to be in a lot better shape. So betas in general, I think it can make sense if you have a piece of software that you use that you know, you're really invested in, but you know something is coming and you know you need that feature, it can make sense to run a beta. Your OS is so essential. And if there's any sort of problem with it, it's going to mess up everything that to me, it's just not something that anyone should be running. So with Apple doing these public betas, I sort of, uh, 
I encourage anyone and everyone to not run them and, and to just <laughs> wait for the final version. Uh, I mean, early on in the OS X era, we would say, you know, don't run the initial release. Don't run 10.2. Wait for 10.2.1 or 10.2.2. And now we're getting even earlier versions than, you know, the initial release. So to me, it's it's not something that's appealing. Uh, as far as this particular complaint, I didn't really... I didn't really quite understand how this related to being a designer versus a developer. I mean, anyone's going to be impacted by bugs in a beta, whether they're a developer or not. So if you're running, as Dan said, if you're running a beta and you run into a problem, you kind of brought it on yourself. Uh, if it's a fully released product and there's a problem, then you can say, hey, the vendor screwed up. They need to fix this. But if it's a beta, the assumption is it's going to be fixed. And if you found it, thanks for finding it. But you signed up to do that. Yeah, I, um, I I agree. I think betas are kind of for chumps. In fact, I've, I I signed up for the beta for OS X and, and iOS, the public beta stream, uh, when I was writing a book about photos. Um, and uh, so those those versions finally went final, and now I'm I'm getting the software update notifications for new versions of a new beta. And the last couple of months, I've been like, no, 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 no. I'm going to not be on a beta for a little while. Just I'm going to enjoy not being on a beta for a while. And I look at this, and I think it's the same thing. Like, you know, the reason you use a beta should be because you need to for something that you, you need to do, and your curiosity is probably not it. That's probably not good enough. And you do take your devices uh, in and put them in jeopardy when you do something like this i i actually uh installed ios 9 on an ipad air 2 but it's an ipad air 2 uh, that i have for the purpose of installing betas on it and i'm you know i'm not installing ios 9 on my iphone anytime soon because it's my iphone i need it i don't want it to break so i kind of feel like you know Betas are going to be broken. You need to assume they're broken, and you can't get angry at the vendor for having them be broken because that's just how it works. And you know that that you know you you sign up for that when you sign up for a beta. And if you consider a beta essential because you have to do it because of your job, then maybe you should find a device, an old device, or, right? Absolutely, or some other device, and put it on there. And that's your test bed. I've got I've got a, a El Capitan installed on an external drive, and I can boot into it and look at it, and then I can go back to Yosemite, and that is the way that I want it, at least for the next month or two, for sure. I'm actually not a developer. I'm a writer. Um, so I can get away, you know, at work with waiting. You know, if we're if we're, we decide to require iOS 9, I can wait, you know, a little bit. I think last year um, we had a pretty big update with, um, with iOS 8, and I think I waited until like the fourth or fifth iteration of the beta before I was like, okay, I need to start writing documentation. I totally understand where Louis is coming from, um, especially, you know, as a writer, I'm like, okay, well, are these steps solid? You know, like can I start documenting this? And then it's like, okay, now when can I take screenshots? And and I have to wait <laughs> for the designers to finish that so I can start taking screenshots. And and so like like I feel his pain. I totally understand. I mean, I, I worked a 24-hour shift trying to get our documentation up to date at the last minute, you know, because designs weren't weren't in place. There were a couple of things that were in flux and and like it all came down at the end. So I, I, I get the frustration, but as someone who's getting into development, it's like I want these features so that I can start like making sure that my app will actually work and battery life will come later. Um and of course, you know, that's predicated on either carrying an external battery pack with me all the time or or um, having a separate test device, and um, I just—I've always kind of taken it for granted that that's what you do when you're a developer, I guess. All right, we've reached halftime here at Clockwise, and we have a halftime sponsor this week. 
this halftime at Clockwise brought to you by JustWorks. JustWorks helps businesses take care of their benefits, payroll, and HR. Running a successful business is hard enough. The thousands of little t- details can sometimes make it feel overwhelming. JustWorks will process your payroll automatically. It uh, JustWorks will set up your team's benefits online and help you save on healthcare. It's just that simple. You can find out more at justworks.com slash clockwise. That's J-U-S-T-W-O-R-K-S dot com slash clockwise. Get 15% off your first year at JustWorks when you sign up using the code clockwise. Grow your business, not your busy work, by using JustWorks. It was created by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Companies with less than 50 employees are normally overpaying for healthcare. With JustWorks, you can save $200 per employee per month. Uh, they're the only guys in town doing the healthcare saving, the compliance, and the awesome tech-forward product. Find out more, justworks.com slash clockwise. Grow your business, not your busy work, with JustWorks. Thank you for sponsoring Halftime. All right, second half. Dan, what do you have for us? Well, I'm really bullish on the iOS 9 productivity features, especially for the iPad that we saw. Um, but I, I found myself worrying the other day am I actually going to use them? And and this this happens a lot when I watch keynotes. I'm like, oh, that feature looks really cool. Uh, I can kind of see how they'll be useful. And then by the time they come out, either it's just so hard for me to adjust my muscle memory or I just forget those features are there that I, I just don't end up using them. And I'm thinking particularly uh, a handoff was a good example for me because I, I always see that little icon in the bottom corner. And yet, for some reason, it just never comes in that useful for me. Um, and so my question for you guys was, can you are there other features that you guys feel like you were really hyped about and you never end up using? Or uh, do you think that this might break that pattern? This is something that is so big and so important that it will totally change the way that you work. Well, I think it's interesting how uh, if you watch the keynote, they're talking about all these new features and a whole lot of them don't work on the older iPads. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them require either one of the newest iPads or even I think the newest iPad for a couple of them. Yeah. So I think it's something where it'll be difficult to get an answer on this anytime soon because it seems that the iPad does not get updated that frequently uh, as far as consumers go. So you people are still using two, three, four-year-old iPads. So it's tough to say, you know, how useful these features will be because initially they won't be available to that many people. I don't know. It's They're clearly looking to push the iPad forward and, and make it more powerful. But I think there's a lot of issues that are not related to the software. There's, you know, things like the restrictions in the iOS app store that are preventing a lot of productivity tools and a lot of you know more powerful software from being on that platform. And adding a split view is not going to change that. So in terms of making the iPad a more powerful device, obviously it'll be a little more powerful in terms of causing people to use it more in as a replacement for a Mac or you know use it just more. Uh, I'm not 100% sold that that'll happen. So I, I guess... I don't know. I, I won't be able to use these features for some time because my iPad's a couple years old. And so it's it's something where, I don't know, I'm not sold on anything, but it it's obviously a good thing to keep pushing it forward. I'm really excited about the trackpad feature. I think it's going to be useful. I think the, the idea that you can put two fingers down on the keyboard, and, uh, th- and this actually will work on the iPhone too, it turns out, uh, at least in the first beta it does. But you put two fingers down and move the, uh, the insertion point around. It is... Uh, not very efficient to write and edit on the iPad right now. You can do it, and you can hold down one finger and get the loop and move the curtain, oh, you know, and worst. select and all that. But, you know, it is functional, but it's slow. And so using a metaphor from uh, uh, the computer side of the fence, like a, a, a pointing device, a trackpad, with the, with the two fingers down, 
you know, I think it's a really great idea. So I think that one is going to be a huge productivity benefit. I'm a little more skeptical about the quick type toolbar being having the um, having having toolbar buttons on it and not just uh, word suggestions. I, I'm, I'm it'll be interesting to see what the limitations are there. I'm 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 assuming that third party developers are really excited about it. But when they go in and look at what they can do, they may be like, oh, Apple's really limited us here and it may be of less interest. But um, I think just being able to move your insertion point around and select things really quickly by putting two fingers down on the keyboard and using it as a pointing device is going to be uh, a huge win. And I think that that one will be used by lots of people into the future. So that's my guess. You know, I I want to love the iPad so desperately, but I just can't figure out a way to fit it into my life. I have I have friends who do most of their work on the iPad. Um, they um, you know they take it with them. It's small. It's compact. It's fine. I can't do that, and so I have an iPad Mini two that just ends up sitting around a lot. Um, so I don't know. Like I'm 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 slightly like reservedly optimistic that I'll be able to use my iPad with more frequency with some of these things like it's less annoying to change your insertion points. So maybe I can sit down and like write blog posts with it or something. But but I don't I don't know that it'll get me to use the iPad more than I already do. Well, I, I'm I am still really looking forward to it. Like like you guys, I have an older iPad, and so I'm kind of curious to see what Apple rolls out this year that might let me take advantage of that if I decide to upgrade. Um, and I really want to use these features. I think just the worry for me is always will it be something that I remember is there? Like for for a long time after iOS added the uh, interactive notifications, I would always forget to pull down on the little sheet there, thinking like, oh, I got to go into the app and do it, just because my muscle memory was not there. But I I intrigued to see where this goes, and I feel like it might make the iPad a more productive device for me. So, thank you all. Paul, what's your topic? Well, I don't really have a question. I guess I can try and phrase this as a question. But basically, uh, at the keynote, we saw uh, the new version of Mac OS X, or just OS X. I still stick the Mac on there. And it's if you looked at, they, they always have those slides that have you know 30 different things on them. And if you looked at the 30 different things on them, they were all really minimal things, like redesigned disk utility app, or redesigned crayon picker. Finally, redesigned crayon picker, which is <laughs> awesome. I want. I love more crayons. I always have wanted more crayons since I was a little kid. Well, it's actually kind of funny because the the Yosemite crayon picker color picker was atrocious. They flattened it, and it no longer looked like crayons, and it was weird. So it's it is something that should have been fixed. But to call it out on a keynote <laughs> slide is kind of amusing. Uh, but basically, looking at this, it seems like it's a maintenance release. It seems like it's going to be a bug fix release. And I just I guess that's the question: is how do you guys feel about that? Uh, Positive, negative. Go ahead. Uh, I'm I'm positive about it because I think after the uh, kind of rough up- upgrade we've had in the last year, year and a half, I think Apple spending some time. Uh, Going, back. I feel like Apple's had this um, drive the last few years because they felt like they were in this. They were in this giant arms race with Google over uh, Android versus iOS features, especially that they kept on launching new features and then moving on to the next new feature they had to launch. and And it seems like both Apple and Google. Um, I hope there wasn't any collusion here, but uh, they're both like, okay, we've all pretty much got some solid stuff going on here. Let's tighten up the features we already launched because I feel like th- things got launched and then they got forgotten 
important, even if they were only partially functional. So spending some time uh, making everything work better and faster, I, I, I am happy with that because there aren't that many features that I sit here and think, boy, there is a feature sitting right out there that everybody wants and they're not going to give it to us because instead they're going to make these things not have bugs um, you know, or, or make my iPhone last an hour longer. I'm okay with them tweaking energy settings and making my iPhone last an hour longer. I'm happy with that. Yeah, I totally agree. I, um, you know, I just kind of feel like we've had so many paper, you know, the little thin paper cuts over the years that they keep pressing forward, pressing forward new, you know, new future, new features that finally we get a chance to kind of sit back and breathe and like, maybe I won't get springboard crashes all the time when I'm on my phone and maybe, you know, like issues like the Discovery D Right process, run. yeah, like those kinds of like little things that that really aren't necessarily a big deal in most cases are such annoying little paper cuts that I'm really excited to kind of get some relief from that pressure. Yeah, I, I agree with all of you that I, you know, my Macs are my daily work machines. I like them to be as bulletproof as possible, uh, except when I'm running betas, obviously. Uh, and I really feel like this is a good time for them to do a lot of these sort of maintenance stuff. That Because this stuff tends to pile up, I feel like. it. You know, there's a lot of time with the, that sort of breakneck pace of, of updating every year. A lot of stuff gets thrown by the way. You know, we'll fix, we'll fix that later. You know, we'll get to that down the road. And then three or four software updates down the road. And you're like, oh, God, this thing still isn't fixed. Like, this has been forever. Um, and so it's nice to see them sort of take a step back, take a breath, refine and say, okay, let's, let's concentrate on making this solid and making this reliable and worry less about adding new features that again, people may or may not end up using. So I'm very positive about having a maintenance release. I'm really looking forward to using, you know, using something that's more stable. I haven't even upgraded. I have a Mac mini that serves as sort of my data repository server or whatever. It's still running Mavericks just because I was kind of hesitant about putting Yosemite on it. So I'm looking forward to El Capitan just sort of bringing more stability and reliability. Yeah, I think uh, this was a, a fairly softball question, but I think we're it's it's <laughs> something we all feel is that, uh, Jason, you made a great point, that what is missing in your OS? When do you look at your OS and say, man, we really need this? With iOS 1, you could say, man, we really need copy and paste. This isn't even here. Uh, you should have an update as soon as possible. And iOS as a younger platform, they've added more stuff over the years every year. And you know, it's, it's obvious that it's matured well, but it needed that maturity. OS 10 has been pretty mature for several years, it seems like. So to me, uh, knowing the bugs that were in Yosemite and knowing hopefully the fixes that will be there, I think it's a very good thing. I think the only thing that I have a question about is, do we still even need an annual update as far as, you know, every year, do we need a new version of Mac OS X? Uh, as a developer, I say no. As a customer, I say probably not. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, at the very least, they slow things down as far as constantly adding new features, which at least this year, it seems they've done, but we'll see what happens in the future. All right, great questions all. We are at the end. We just have a moment for uh, uh, our bonus topic. Our bonus topic, we asked for listener suggestions. You can always tweet them to us at ClockwisePod. This bonus topic suggested by listener Lara. What's a summer read you're looking forward to or would recommend to others? Very summary topic. Aline, do you have a reading suggestion? Um, the two I'm looking forward to since I'm so sci-fi-y, um, John Scalzi um, is doing another um, collection of old man 
Old Man's War um, universe short stories. Um, wow. And the the next series, the next in the Expanse series are, are the two two things that I'm really looking forward to. Well, you took that one right out of my mouth, Aline. <laughs> I, I was going to say Nemesis Games, which is the new Expanse book, which I actually just finished uh, and I really enjoyed. But I will say that uh, for those who have not started in that series, Leviathan Wakes, great summer read. Take it to the beach. It's heavy. It'll hold it's, down your uh, towel. But, but not, but worth it. But worth it. It'll hold down your towel nicely. Well, L-Dog, I've never really identified with the concept of a summer book. Uh, I budget my time very poorly, so I just read whenever I want. And that usually means not sleeping and just reading. So I don't, I don't have like that mindset of this summer I'm going to read this. But given uh, the other members of this panel, I have a good one, a good one of my favorite books. It's a book called Begin to Exit Here by John Welter. And it's, the subtitle is A Novel of the Wayward Press. And it's uh, somebody who was in the newspaper industry in the 90s uh, and then sort of right as it was looking like it might be in trouble. Uh, so appropriate for the other members of uh, this podcast and also enjoyable for anyone. And I'll throw out a couple of the expanse I was going to mention, too, but I knew that Dan would. I didn't know that Aline would, too. <laughs> so anyway, Leviathan Wakes is a good place to start. That's the beginning of the series. Uh, uh, two other books that I've read the last couple of years um, that I have really enjoyed. The um, One of them is uh, The uh, Goblin Emperor, which was just nominated for, um, although it didn't win the Nebula Award for Best Novel. It's a fantasy novel, but it's not... Um, like other fantasy lo- novels, I'd say it's not it's not about uh, armies battling so much as it is about uh, somebody uh, kind of coming to understand the, themselves and their abilities and uh, learning the to navigate the strange uh, world that the goblins and elves live in and uh, and also the Golem and the Genie by Helene Wecker, which is a uh, fun book that I read last year about a golem and a genie and they meet in old new york they're immigrants and it's an immigrant story except the two immigrants in question are magical do they fall in love jason they uh no spoilers spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) anyway we have reached the end i would like to thank our our guests aline sims thank you so much for being on clockwise you should come back sometime I'd love to. Thank you. And Paul Cavazas, thank you for coming back. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next week. Until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.